With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hello there. Welcome back to Latina to Latina. On this podcast, I talk with Latinas about how they got to be so amazing. You've heard Amy Carrero's voice, most recently as She-Ra, Princess of Power, in the new Netflix animated series, or as Elena of Avalor, Disney's first Latina princess. She recently wrapped a five-year run on the sitcom Young and Hungry. And now she's doing a thing that for most of us is hard to do. She's carefully considering what's next. Amy Crow, you're a terrible celebrity. You, like, drove yourself oh my to God. the studio. Well, first of all, I drove myself and then proceeded to, like, negate all of my, like, normal behavior when there was a huge <laughs> wasp that landed on my shoulder and I made an ass of myself in front of a fellow Latina actress who I've never met before. So now that's her only like, experience with me. Just, it's good though. It means if you're ever in the same room to reach, oh she'll be like, God. I got it. Don't worry. She's going to go tell all her other friends. Like, Amy's weird. It's also Miami Girl. It was not a wasp. It was a beetle. I know. <laughs> it was absolutely a beetle. But it flew. Do beetles fly? I'm smart. Uh, they don't learn that in Jersey either. I know. Sure. I don't know what happened. But anyway, so... I guess I made an entrance. <laughs> Something rocked my world, which is I had known that you graduated from FIU in 2008. So I'd always done the math on your age predicated on that without oh, yeah. realizing that you are a weirdo who graduated in two years. Two years. Why would you do that? Because um, I was desperate to come to L.A., and be an actress. Um, but my parents are, you know, they're, we don't have any artists in my family at all. So nobody in my family ever made a dollar really in performance. So my parents said, if you want us to help you move to L.A., a.k.a. some money, honey, you have to get a degree in something that's not acting. So I was like, got it. So I studied um, international relations at FIU. Go Panthers. And um, I was... Thankful enough or 
lucky enough to not have to have a job at the time. I lived with my parents. And so I finished in two years. And then you're done. And what happens? And then I moved to L.A. So I handed my parents my degree. And they were like, okay, well, here's – I think they gave me like $12,000, which is such a blessing, you know, like to move out here. And it was gone in like two months (laughs) just because – I don't know. At that time, I thought $12,000 was going to be like... A lot of money? Well, it, it, it is, but it's not much to get you like an apartment and a car and all these things. So, um, but luck struck again. And um, within like a month and a half, I already had an acting job out here. What was that job? Alvin and the Chipmunks a squeak. Well, you might have heard of it. <laughs> I don't know if you watched it at the Oscars that year. One of the many times you would play Sophia. Uh, oh my God. I actually don't even remember the name of the character because it was so like not a thing. They just needed. So a little known fact um, in the Alvin and the Chipmunks <laughs> universe, it's like half animated, half real people. So I was actually a, a person. Um, and my one line was like to, to Theo, which is the little cute one. I was like, you're Theodorable. It was an actual line. Did so, you practice it like a million times? I did. Home? I did. And you know what, though? It kept me in L.A. like that whole year. I mean, I I got really lucky. I, I worked like a ton of different acting jobs that year just because I think being naive really buys you so much in any industry and especially in the entertainment industry because, you know, people will tell you, well, it's so hard. I mean, thousands of people try to do it every year. But I came truly like having not failed at too many things in my life I was 20 so I was like you know I didn't make the cheerleading squad like that really was my only um (laughs) it's your failure failure you know so I was like yeah but they haven't seen me so and that really that confidence really gets you far at the beginning so I, I did like seven jobs my first year you did level up level up then you had an off-Broadway show that I hadn't known about prior to prepping for this, What Rhymes with America, yes. for which the New York Times dubbed your performance strikingly good. Oh, thank you, New York Times. Put that on your website. Um, P.S. The the man who um, who wrote that review late – so I just did an, another off-Broadway show. The Portuguese he, Kid. The Portuguese Kid. And, you know, the New York Times, like, splits their reviews. And so Ben Brantley is, like, the Broadway guy. And then at that time, I forget, I think it was, like, Charles Isherwood. He would do all the off-Broadway. And so when we were doing this Portuguese Kid, I'm like, well, he likes me, so my review's going to be good. <laughs> well, it turns out he was, like, being bribed for the longest time. So he was fired from the New York Times. So I'm like, I'm still holding on to that review. But also, <laughs> like, mm, did he get paid for it? Like, I don't know. But it was fun. It was like the first time I'd ever, I, I, up to that point, because I was had just played, you know, young high school or hadn't really done anything that I would consider like super legit in the acting world. So that was the first time that I was a part of something that I felt was like super, super important and not just for the sake of entertainment. Do you remember 2014 when you got Young and Hungry? Yeah. You are a warrior. I am a warrior. You are a goddess. I am a goddess. <laughs> a goddess who's really nervous and really should have worn more antiperspirant. Hi, I'm Sophia Rodriguez. Uh, I'm here to meet with Logan Rawlings for the assistant position. I'm a little early. You're going to have to wait. That's no problem at all. I am an excellent waiter. In fact, if I don't get this job, I might have to be one. Did you realize that was going to be a turning point for you? No. Well, actually, it's funny because after I finished What Rhymes with America, I spent all of my money going to New York from Level Up, which was my first series regular job, which is essentially like my first leading role. 
And so I was like, well, I'll do an off-Broadway show, but they don't, like, pay you to go there. So – and you get, like, $400 a week. So I spent all my money, and then I moved back, and I was like, great. Can't wait to make some money again. And it was, like, dry as a bone. Like, I didn't get an audition for maybe, like, three months, which is a long time for, you know, if you have an agent that works for you. Um, and so then I got two auditions in one day, The Americans and Young and Hungry. And I was just so much more focused on the Americans audition because I had to, like, translate a scene into Spanish. So I spent all day working on this whoa, audition. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They had you translate yes. the scene? Yes. This was, like, in 2014. Like, I feel like now that would not be appropriate. Like, they would hire a writer to translate for you. But they were just like, well, just do the last two scenes in Spanish and English. So I was really super focused on that audition. So when the Young and Hungry one rolled along, it was, like, at 4.30 on a Friday – or whatever, I uh, I went in and I was so relaxed, I think, because I wasn't, like, super focused on it that I it was just, like, a really good audition. And then um, I remember going to Palm Springs that weekend with my girlfriends and getting a call from my agent saying, you got a call back for the Americans. You have to be at DreamWorks Monday morning at, like, 8 a.m. or something. So I left Palm Springs really early. Um, it was, like, kind of a weird audition in that it was, like, a sex scene, but I was, like, auditioning by myself. And, like, it was just strange. And so I had that experience. Wait, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah it was down. really weird. I promise it's going to pay off. It's a very long story, but we're almost at no, the no, end. No, 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 no. Okay, no, I don't want you to get to the end. Okay. I want you to explain how anyone does a sex scene by themselves. Um, Girl, I have no idea, but it was, like, I don't know if you – Anyway, I've seen I've seen the scene. Okay, yeah. So it was like from behind, but I'm obviously not going to mime someone like behind me. So I just was like, I'll just I'll just like maybe like drop one of my straps and maybe that'll be enough. It was so awkward. I can't tell you. And because casting was in New York, it was like Skype. So I would do the scene and then it would be like lag time. Beat beat. That was great. Do you think you could do it again? Maybe this time, like, don't take off the strap. And I'm like, okay. It was just a very strange audition. So I went home. I fell asleep. And then I woke up to a phone call. And I was thinking, it's for the Americans. And it's my agent. And he's like, so good news. You booked Young and Hungry. And they don't even need to to camera test you for it. They're just going to offer it to you based on your single audition. And that was just, like, caught me totally by surprise. So to answer your question a really long-winded way, I was so not focused on Young and Hungry because I had this other thing that was taking up all always, of my time. Always. The, with so, boys. Yeah. With jobs. Totally. always the way it worked. So I had no idea. And and on that same day, I booked the Americans, too. So it was just kind of like a crazy um, – it was a crazy day. It was October 12th. So I'll never forget that day. And so after it aired, I remember, like, telling my parents, like, please don't watch this episode. Or or when you see this scene, come on, turn it off. And, of course, they didn't. They watched it. And my, my dad was like, you did a, a good job. You were very convincing. And I was like, I want to I die. I would like to jump off a bridge. So I haven't done another love scene since then. Mostly because no one's ever asked again. <laughs> but But, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'd be a little more prepared next time. So at the same time, there's Young and Hungry going on. Yes. Yeah. What, now five years later? Yeah. So so we did the pilot. I think I was still doing the Americans going back and forth from New York uh, to L.A. We did the pilot. And then, I mean, I don't know. Everybody drills into you when you move here to be an actor. Like, you're so lucky to book a pilot. Chances are your pilot will not get picked up. So I was just operating under the assumption that most pilots don't get picked up. And this one would also not be picked up. But it was. So... I have actually haven't ever talked about this before, but I had 
imagined after Level Up, which was a children's show, that I would head into the more like dramatic roles and just have a completely different trajectory. So like The Americans was definitely a part of that sort of vision and goal. Um, Young and Hungry was a kind of a detour for me. You know, um, it was a sitcom. But, you know, when you do a pilot, you sign a contract for seven years. Um, wow. Yeah. And so it's a big time commitment. It ended up being like a really beautiful, wonderful detour in my life. I mean, I totally wouldn't be anywhere near in the vicinity of where I am now career wise had it not been for Young and Hungry. But I think after five years of that journey, I'm like, OK, how do I get back to the path that I'd you know, started to form for myself. So how do you do that? You say no a lot. Um, so once Young and Hungry was over, um, I was doing an off-Broadway play, a second one in New York called The Portuguese Kid by John Patrick Shanley, who was my favorite, like, living playwright. Um, so it was a, such a dream come true for, to work with him. And so, but when I booked that job, I didn't know that Young and Hungry would be canceled. So, you know, we actually found out Young and Hungry was canceled the night we closed The Portuguese Kid. Ouch. Which was interesting because I had a lot of complicated feelings about the play and my part in it. And um, and then to hear that Young and Hungry was also ending, I thought, oh, well, this is very clearly going to just be a new chapter now. So, And do you like me where you value security and would yes. wake up like heart palpitations in the middle of the night being like, I'm never going to be able Absolutely. to pay my bills? Yes, especially the bills part. But more than that, and I, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but do you ever feel like imposter syndrome? in your job girl please <laughs> I'm like one day someone will f- figure me out and they're gonna realize I'm just terrible at this job or at least realize that I've hit my ceiling yeah where it's like well right. that was what she was good at she's she's great in a sitcom she's right. she's great at a third tier cable network yeah yeah exactly right exactly right so sorry that was about my cable network no yours. girl but but it's but you know what I think it's very similar in that it's somebody's first tier cable network you know mm. what I mean it isn't mine and it wasn't yours which is why we moved on. So also I just, I'm a cancer. So I, I like having like a stable home life. Um, so yeah, my husband and I had long conversations about it and, and we decided that, um, that the waiting was going to have to be the way to go because, you know, not to sound too like LA or hokey, but I really do believe that if you don't make room for things in your life, they will not appear. I try to remind myself, like, this is a prison of your own making, but it's not even a prison. Like, it will absolutely pay off. And also, as an actor, you have to sort of re-educate people and show them, the like, casting directors, people within the business. Like, I know you know me as this one thing, but I can do more than this. But how do you not get demoralized doing that? Because that's one of my things, which is, yeah. I'm like, we've been meeting for the last seven years. Right, right. I sent you my reel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does it feel like I have to constantly come in and, like, reintroduce myself? A hundred percent. And you know what? I don't think it has anything to do with you or your growth as a professional. I think it has – I'm like the queen of bad metaphors, so go along with me on mm-hmm. this one. So, like, you know when you're, like, at a store and you pass, like, a sweater and you're like, nah, and then you see, like, a, a prettier, like, more fashionable girl holding that same sweater and you're like, I need that sweater. Yes. I feel like that's what a lot of our industry, the TV industry, movie industry, that it's a lot about perception, a lot about who's hot, who's who has momentum. So I'm the same. I mean, I think I've improved a little bit, but I'm I'm the same person I was in 2011 or 2008 when I was like waiting tables at South Beverly Grill. You know, um, I have the same things, if not more, to offer now. So like, why not then? You know, um, I don't. Do you know. feel like you've ever had that momentum behind you, that it girl factor? Um, I think. 
maybe in certain things. So I definitely felt that. I mean, by 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 no means like an it girl or anything. But I think after the Portuguese kid, I, I was not prepared for the amount of people that I didn't think were paying attention. Ooh. You know, so um, people in the field who are at the top of the sitcom game sending me parts to consider. Um, and so it was hard to say. Because you don't ever want to insult anybody and say, like, this isn't good enough for me because that's not the truth. It's just, like, not what I want to do. Right now. But it's hard to explain – it's hard to explain to people when it's some people's, like, biggest dream, you know, um, to be on a sitcom, you know. Um, but, but yeah, it's been, like, a weird eight months. But the more you say no, the better you get at it. And you feel that imposter syndrome a lot until you just decide, like – you know what, if I don't let this go, no one's going to do it for me. I have to do it because if I don't walk in with the confidence that I deserve to be here, then I don't even stand a chance to get this job. And this, and the chances are already stacked against you. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. So this is very easy for me to say sitting here looking at you, and I know it's not this easy, but, like, you're so freaking smart, Amy. Why are you not writing your own material? Girl, I don't know about that. Thank you. I'll take it. It's interesting because, first of all, I think that I don't have, like, ideas. I know I do. I just <laughs> – if I had one good idea, I, girl, I'd be writing it down. Um but I've tried to buy the rights to, like, articles and books in the past, and and I think it's just something I'm putting off. I know that that's where the future of this business is, and even even if it's not writing for me, maybe it's, not like, in a producerial capacity, I know that's where the future is. Um, 
I think that there's just something that I should probably explore in like meditation or my own like therapy about what it means as an artist when people when you're first starting out or or even when you're successful where people are constantly encouraging you to do something that's not the thing you want to do so I think that's what I'm kind of still struggling against but I have to get over it because I do think that as unfortunately the reality of it is as women age in this business um the work gets less and less and less and the only way to remain your own boss and remain relevant is to produce your own work or write it you show up at March for Our Lives, yeah. show up at the Women's March. Is it a conscious choice to be political or do you not know any other way? I don't think I know any other way. I think maybe my – I don't want to say that my career would benefit if I wasn't. I don't know if it would, but that's not an option for me. I think that you have to live in the way that you can look at yourself in the mirror. And if I were to stay quiet about things that I think are – terrible injustices, then I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Um, it's just so strange to coming from a Latin American background. I don't know. I, I knew you're from Jersey, but did you grow up in Miami or have spent no, I grew any up in Jersey? Okay. I don't know if it's a Miami thing, but I just grew up with all I'm not Cuban, but my all of my friends are pretty much in Miami. I grew up with these stories about what it's like to live under an authoritarian regime. Um, And in a lot of ways, it's traumatized an entire generation, if not two generations of Cuban-Americans. But I have that almost like the same trauma a little bit. And so whenever I see anything that like sparks that, "Mm -mm, oh, you're kicking out a CNN reporter from the White House pool because you don't like what she's saying. No, that's that's authoritarian shit. Um, or little infringes on our liberty. Um, the alarms go off in my head because I personally don't have an experience, but I know many people who, who did have that experience. And it happens little by little. It doesn't happen all at once. So maybe it's a little alarmist. I don't think so. But I'd rather be the one ringing the bell like too early than someone who slips into like oblivion and or, or ignorance and, and just doesn't see what's happening in her own world it's back all the way up so you're born in the dr yeah and your mom's dominican yes but your dad's puerto rican yes they lived in new york um and i think they you know like everybody not not so much anymore but people of a certain age when they left their home country the dream is to go back and have a little house on the beach or whatever um and i think that's what they were seeking my dad my mom got her master's degree at Queens College. My dad had already gotten his master's degree, and I think they thought, okay, well, it's time to move back. Like, we've gotten our education in the United States. We're professionals. Let's go and live the good life on the island. Um, and then they had kids, and I think they were like, oh, well, my kids aren't going to have the same opportunity if we stay. So they, I think they just kind of changed their mind and, and moved to Miami. Honestly, like, I credit growing up there – for so much of like my success as an actress because so much about um Hollywood now I mean it's the trend is now like starting to move away from this but like the otherness I felt when I moved here did such a huge number on my confidence here in a being LA. In LA sorry yeah um when I moved to LA I remember one of my first auditions they were like um she's great but we're not looking for ethnic and I remember like 
turning around thinking like, who's ethnic? You know, because I'd grown <laughs> up in this sort of like homogen- racially homogenous city and everybody looked like me. Everybody talked like me. Um, you know, you have like your little Miami accent. And, um, and I just... I didn't. I never felt othered in Miami. Now, granted, that's my personal experience. I think if I had grown up like Afro Latina in Miami, I might have had a completely totally. different experience. But that really helped me because whenever I came up against a wall like that, I was like, "This is ridiculous. I'm no different than anybody else." Call them again. I would like to go in again, or I would like th- for them to reconsider me for this part. But it wasn't long after that that I think Hollywood took this like diversity turn, and now it's really. It's popular to be, you know, not white. Um, But I think the pendulum, like anything, will swing back toward the middle. I think right now it's swung in in another direction. But but I did struggle with that moving here. But I credit Miami for giving me, like, the cojones to be like, no, no, no. I grew up in the same country. I have the same values and ideals. Even if I don't, it shouldn't matter. But, like, I am American, too, just like you. I can tell an American story just because I'm – three shades darker than you doesn't mean that I don't understand the American experience, you know? You were talking about Portuguese kid and you said that you had some complicated feelings yeah. around that role. What were the complicated feelings? Well, so John Shanley, I love to pieces. I mean, he wrote some of my favorite plays like Doubt. Um, he also wrote one of my favorite movies, Moonstruck, um, Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, The Dreamer Examines His Pillow. And I didn't realize at the time that w- the women in his stories – not all the stories. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure out men and women. And in this particular play, he wrote um, what he thought were two real feminist women, or three. Um, and it hadn't had it not been for Sherry Renee Scott and Mary Tessa, the other two actresses who are like titans of the theater. Um, I don't know that I would have the language to explain it, but we were caught in a story where we're like, no, no, these women should not be fighting each other. And not in like a cheesy, like, let's wrap it up in a bow kind of way. It's like in 2018, this is no longer how women are speaking or behaving. So I had a problem with my character, Patty, like not really having her own agency. And in the end, after having what I think were great breakthroughs, she ends up just kind of following the guy to Paris which, again, it's hard because not every story should be wrapped up in a bow. We, As women, or just as people, we do things that self-sabotage all the time. We make breakthroughs and then we take steps back. So this may be just a snippet of the story, but this was a snippet I was telling. And I was, as a woman, having complicated feelings about, like, I understand that maybe it's Patty's journey, but as a woman in 2018, this is not the story I want to be telling. But that's maybe my own kind of crisis. Like, I, I don't really know yet. And that's that's what's hard about because we're making all of these bold statements and all of these big moves now as women. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I think we're still trying to figure out exactly what what we mean. I don't know. I, that's my feeling. I don't, I don't know. When do you think you will feel like you've made it? I mean, I think that's the big trap. Right. Like you never really feel like you've made it. Um, There's always something else. I think that if I can find a great balance of work and life, which at the moment, my personal life is incredibly rich. If I could find that satisfaction and that peace in my professional life, I would consider that a huge success. Um, 
But professionally, I mean, I look at people like Oscar Isaac. He grew up in Kendall. And, like, I saw him do Hamlet at the public in New York. He was unbelievable and is also able to do these big blockbuster movies, able to do these smaller movies. Um, I don't think he's done TV yet, but I'm sure if something great came along, he oh, no, he did. He, he's been on HBO before. And so I think, like, that's the dream career, it, it, to be able to, to work in all mediums and not necessarily be um, – put in like a Latina box or like Latina best friend box, which I think he navigates really expertly. It's tough as an actor because you, of course you're proud of where you're from and you, and you want to talk about it and you want other Latinas to look up and say, I can do that too. But in a way you also, I mean, I think any marginalized group there may be part of the dream is for it not to be a subject of conversation to just walk in a room and not have it be like, Oh, you're the exotic, you're the sassy Latina or you're, you know, or you're like the, sassy black girl or or whatever you know or the smart indian girl there's like a version of this for every ethnicity you know and i think we just kind of would like to walk in a room and just be seen for our talent first thanks cool thank you so much for having me hey one of the best ways to support us besides telling everyone you know about us is by listening on the radio public app when you listen there, we get paid. And the app's tip button lets you leave us a tip of any amount up to $100. Major shout out and thank you to the individuals who left us our first two tips. We promise to spend it wisely. Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is executive produced by Juleka Lantigua Williams and me. Amita Ganatra was the sound designer on this episode. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Send us ideas for guests or talk to us about what's on your mind right now. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.